Justice do not always turn as fast as we would like, but they will turn. And karma, no matter how fast you try to outrun it, no matter how many times you try to escape it, karma will catch up with you. And we are really seeing in this week sort of two individuals face the music once and for all in a way that they deserve to face it. And I'm really proud of all the people I know in this hobby that didn't give up. They didn't become a coward. They didn't stay silent. They actually fought for what was right. And these are men of principle, men of morals, and men who have values. And they saw those values to the end. And I saw a picture today that I loved seeing. It was inside a courtroom in Chicago, above on the wall were the words, in God we trust. And below that phrase was a sulking John Papaduke Jr. found guilty of wrongdoing in taking money from Zidware customers and not delivering on the goods in which he promised, knowingly entering into what turned out to be pretty much a Ponzi scheme of selling future titles to get enough money to try and make game number one. There was never going to be enough money for everyone to get their games. And John Papaduke Jr. was ordered to pay uh, the 26 plaintiffs what he owed them for the products they purchased but were never received. And, and, and I have to just say, my hat goes off, if I were wearing one, <laughs> to the 26 individuals that stood their ground, that didn't give up. They didn't accept the deep root buyout. They made sure that John Papaduke got the justice that he deserved. And when I saw that number of the 26 plaintiffs, the first thing I thought is, shouldn't there be way more? John Papaduke screwed over way more than just 26 people. But you know what happens in pinball? There's an interesting dynamic that happens in pinball, and we've sort of been getting at the root of this recently on Canada's Pinball Podcast, is in pinball, a lot of times people just want to forget what happens. A lot of times people want to forgive these pinball designers because we hold them up on this pedestal, right? John Papaduke, part of the Pinball Hall of Fame, what could possibly go wrong? And then we saw everything that could did go wrong. Uh, and it was a good day. So I really want to congratulate those individuals. I don't know all of you. I know some of you. I know Joe Newhart. I know Kim Mitchell. I know Bill Brandis. And I'll say this, all of these men that I know, I know Chris Marquette at Cointaker, all of these men are, are fabulous individuals. Individuals I've met personally, individuals who are successful, who work hard, and they put their trust in a man who lied to them, who misled them, who got himself in trouble. And we've said it before, it's not that John Papaduke is, is, is an evil, evil man. I think John Papaduke got himself into a situation in which he needed help, and instead of getting help or calling it quits, he willingly 
deceived people and made the hole even deeper. And he has nobody to blame but himself for that. Now, a lot of questions are, are developing about what is the future now of John Papaduke in the pinball world. We all knew what he did, right? This is just validation in the court systems of what he did. But now, now, do you think John Papaduke Jr. has a future in pinball? Do you think that Deep Root should continue to work with someone who is a known, is, it, is, is he a felon? Is he, is he a criminal? I mean, it sort of seems like he engaged in, in uh, criminal activity with what he was doing with Zidware. And so should Deep Root Pinball continue that relationship? And do people want to see Magic Girl and Raza and Alice in Wonderland? Or have we had enough? At what point do we finally say enough already? There are enough good designers out there that are not crooks. There are enough new blood in this hobby that deserve a chance. And that pinball is at a crossroads now where we are looking to the future and there's a lot of things to be excited about, right? There's a lot of new young designers, Scott Denisi. We've got uh, Keith Elwin making an awesome game. We've got a lot Eric Munier over at Jersey Jack Pinball. And we know that these individuals are surrounded by other great designers at their respective manufacturers. And we know that there's a lot of fun stuff to come. Uh, but we also know that in the pinball hobby, there's a lot of baggage. There's a lot of individuals that have screwed us time and time again. And I think in 2018, as I predicted, I don't mean to get on my high horse, but I will just a little bit. As I predicted, 2018 will be the year of reckoning in the pinball hobby. And it's a good thing. The purge will happen. It won't happen by Robin and the moderation staff. It won't, no, it does, that doesn't matter. Like everyone doing, you know, verbal jumping jacks uh, on pinside doesn't really matter. What's going to happen in a crowded marketplace where there are so many games fighting for people's dollars, all of the frauds, all of the liars, and all of the charlatans will be exposed and they will go under. Because it is hard enough for a legitimate pinball company to survive and to compete with the likes of Stern. And that is just the reality of pinball. And anyone who thinks otherwise is fooling themselves. So what do I think? As someone who actually had Magic Girl, who moved on from it, I'll say this. I am really happy that John Papaduke is facing up to his responsibilities because it takes a special kind of crazy to think you know how to run a pinball company uh, by yourself. And I think John Papaduke worked at Bally Williams. He saw all of the people that helped him make his ideas a reality. And the fact that he thought he could do it all without those individuals. And the amount of people, I think people forget this, the amount of people that provided John work on Magic Girl and Raza and Alice, the amount of people who slaved away for no money, for no compensation, simply because they loved pinball so much, that list of people is far greater than 26. It is probably 10 times that, 260 people plus, who contributed in some way, shape, or form to trying to help John Papaduke with his vision. And he let all of them down. All of them 
were let down. There were even people that did animations for Zidware games that never got paid, who coded, who did artwork, who did this, who did that, who did a lot of things for him, who gave him parts, all with the promise that John Papaduke would deliver and these guys would be part of pinball history. They are all part of pinball history now, but on the wrong side of pinball history. All right. So John Papaduke, I hope you learn a lesson. I don't think this man should stick around in the pinball hobby. I think at some point people have to learn when it's time to just go away. You don't get to come back this many times. You've used up You've used up all your lifelines in the pinball world. Um, we will see what Deep Root does because the spotlight is on them now and Robert Mueller. And can they make Deep Root work without John Papaduke's designs? All right. And I think it goes to show nobody should have taken that Deep Root offer. Nobody. You should have got, you should have got in on the lawsuit and you would, have, you would have got your money back. All right. So here, here we go. The other thing happening in this sort of day of reckoning or year of reckoning in pinball is Andrew Highway. And you heard me a couple times now talk about Andrew Highway and the story of Andrew Highway. And I think for a lot of us out there, and I've been hearing from people, that all we're doing is seeing the tip of the iceberg. And more and more people are coming out of the woodworks and sharing with us there's stories of what it was really like behind the scenes. And I think what happened with Andrew is this. I think he duped everybody. And I think people, even when they realized they were being duped, decided, most people decided to do nothing. And if I'm asking anything of the people out there, and you know who you are, you know who you are. I don't have to name names here. But it's about time that people in this hobby start looking out for the hobby, for the community, and stop protecting people like Andrew Highway. Stop protecting people like uh, John Papa Duke Jr. We need to look out for each other. And I hope you feel like this. I hope you feel like this podcast has always been looking out for you from day one. I am not a shill for any manufacturer. I know that every manufacturer listens to this podcast. And the reason they listen to this podcast is simple because they're not going to hear what they want to hear all the time. They're going to hear the truth. And we are going to do what I think is missing in the pinball hobby. And that is some journalism, some investigative journalism. We are going to air out what is actually happening behind the scenes. And we've been pretty accurate over the two years we've been on this show. There's been a couple times I've had to do retractions, but for the most part, I think we speak and get to the core of what is happening. And I'll tell you what really upset me today. And, I, and I've been upset uh, for a long time knowing that many of you have had your money in jeopardy and have been lied to by Andrew Highway. And here's what really, really set me off today. I saw a pinside thread from Martin of Pinball News, and he said in this thread that he was going to interview Andrew Highway, okay? And he would like questions submitted to him about what he should ask Andrew Highway. And you can imagine 
the sort of like the vitriolic, hate-filled sort of questions people sent in. But I want to first stop and say to Martin, are you effing kidding me, man? I reached out to this guy because I thought what he's doing is absolutely irresponsible, it's bullshit, and he should he should rise above giving this liar and this fraud another platform to weasel and squeal and and make excuses for what he did. And we know that Martin himself from Pinball News was just as much a shill and a patsy for Andrew Highway because go back and go on YouTube and watch Martin's videos when Pinball News visits the Highway Pinball Factory and it's just Martin and Andrew and they are creating a, a, a puff piece of content that was aimed at convincing you that production for Alien Highway was going a-okay. Meanwhile, Martin's in this big factory with nobody in it. There's no workers. Did he do any real journalism and grab any other highway employees and ask them, how are things really going? How come I don't see any production going on? And this is a smart guy. He's been to the Stern factory probably. He's been to other pinball factory tours. He knows what an actual pinball production facility looks like. And he misled you. And the fact that he has the audacity, the audacity to ask people to submit questions that were non-offensive. To me, that just like set me off. So here's what I did. I hit him up on Facebook and I wrote him this. And we actually started talking. And midway through our conversation, he banned me from, uh, from reaching out to him anymore. It now says like user not available when I go to reach out to him, right? It says the person isn't available right now. So he's blocked me from uh, talking to him. And I told him, Martin, that I would bring up this chat, and I'm going to do it right now. So I wrote to him this. I'm going to read you word for word our conversation. I said, interviewing Andrew Highway is a huge mistake. Asking for no offensive questions, another huge mistake. You have no idea how much he abused people, took advantage of them, was reckless and careless with other people's money while he ensured he was taken care of. He duped everyone, you included. And now you're going to give him another chance to spin, lie, and make excuses. If you were smart, you would never give this fraud the time of day. I will be covering your actions closely on my podcast. I can't believe you would give him a chance to speak after what he pulled. And then Martin wrote, did you offer to interview him, Chris? And let me stop right there. I have asked Andrew Highway to come on this show numerous times. Do you really think Andrew Highway has the guts, the balls to come on this show and clear his name and restore his integrity? If Andrew Highway came on this show, here's what would happen. I would treat him fairly. I would be respectful, but I would not let him off the hook. All right, he wouldn't get, um, you know, like an like like a John Papaduke interview. And I remember when Nate interviewed John, and it was like, I mean, Nate was in a tough spot. But I, I think if you interview Andrew Highway, you really can't just like you know softball him. So I wrote back to Martin 
many times. But it's too late for that man. He lied, he stole, he cheated so many. He took advantage of his workers. He never paid people. Martin, you need to be very careful here. What, what do you think Andrew's going to say? Do you, did you even read the reports from people who work there? And then you go and ask for non-offensive questions. How dare you, Martin? He stole people's money. He lied. Isn't that offensive? Now you want to cater to his dubious ways and let him spin a bunch of bullshit. So tell me, after reading the Twippy stories, what good will interviewing him possibly do? But go ahead. I can't wait to hear this a-hole spit more lies and dupe you again. You went to his factory and you were part of the problem. Like you didn't pull any employees aside and interview them. Nope. Great journalism. And at that point, he cut me off from our conversation and he has blocked me. But see, that's the thing is you're not going to be able to hide, Martin. We know you're friends with Andrew Highway. You go ahead, interview him. Go ahead. What is he going to say? What is Andrew going to say that is going to change people's minds? Do you really think we're going to believe Andrew Highway versus the army of people who are now speaking the truth and are now articulating and communicating what it was actually like? The amount of victims this man has lined up from Oric to his own employees to Fox licensing and merchandising, everybody, the, the investors who probably lost six to seven figures each, all of them burned by Andrew Highway. And you want to go interview him. I, I would welcome him on the show. In fact, Martin, if you're listening and you probably have friends who are listening, I'm going to call you out directly. Why don't you come on the show? Come on to my podcast and explain to me what good hearing Andrew Highway's side of the story is going to do right now. A man who's a known liar and a fraud, who who owes people so much. And speaking of owing people so much, did you see inside the thread what someone revealed today? It was a text message conversation between them and Andrew Highway. Now, the gist of the story is this is that this gentleman loaned Andrew seven pinball machines, seven of them, to, to take around, I think, at different shows and whatnot. And he was expecting Andrew to pay for some of them and, and maybe sell some and get credit. I, I don't know the exact details. What I do know is this. He never got any of his seven machines back. So they were on loan to Andrew Highway, and now he doesn't have anything. Now, where I come from, that's called stealing. It's called robbing someone. And these are high-priced items. You don't just like chuck it up and walk away from someone taking seven pinball machines from you. But what was really painful was reading that text exchange and hearing all of the back and forth and the excuses that were being made. And I think it's really unfortunate that people have had to experience this with, with Andy Highway. And are we finally done? Can we just scrub this guy from the chronicles of pinball history? But the other part is this, and let the J-pop thing today be a lesson to all of you out there. Contact the legal entities that will be going after Andrew Highway. Do not let this man off the hook. He does not get to ride off into the hydrofoil sunset and get away with it. Do not let him get away with it. You have the power to make sure that he pays for what he did. 
And I actually think like Andrew Highway is even worse than John Papaduke. I mean, John Papaduke brought people down for sure. But Andrew Highway, the abuse he gave his workers, the abuse, the manipulation, the lies, it, it really impacted way more people. I mean, he went to so many shows, looked people in the eye, and told them things that he knew he could not deliver. And, and karma, man, it has caught up to him. He is at the end of the line with that kind of behavior. Because if there's any community I would never want to piss off, if there's any community I would never want coming after me for the rest of my days, it is the pinball community. Because if I've learned one thing, there ain't no other community filled with passionate motherfuckers quite like pinball people. And there also isn't another hobby that has the dichotomy of rich guys who will stop at nothing to prove a principle and guys that it doesn't matter if they're rich or not, they will also stop at nothing to make sure you pay and you're screwed. He's so lucky that he's over in the UK. I'll just, let's just say that for his physical sake, he is very lucky he's over there. And I just don't know why he even ever created this company. Now he has thousands of people that are out to get him, hundreds of people who have lost money and you know a handful of people that probably just want to physically harm the guy. All right, And I would hate waking up every day knowing that people want to come after me because I robbed them of their own hard-earned money. All right? All right. Can we breathe? It's a lot. It's a lot. We've been putting up a lot of shows recently because there's a lot of developments happening. Um, what we're going to do on this podcast is also cover some pinball news. And I also want to give you guys my early sort of review of Iron Maiden, which I played a bunch last night. Um, I'm also going to do something interesting that I haven't quite done before. If you're listening to this podcast right now, uh, there is going to be the Dead Flip podcast in, in a little bit where Jack Danger plays the LE. So I'm actually going to like talk to you a little bit. I'm going to talk about my experience with Maiden. And then I'm actually going to go watch that, pause this podcast, and then give you a little bit of my feedback of watching the LE. Now, I will say this. I'm watching these streams of people playing pinball for like an hour or two hours. I don't have that much time. Uh, so I'm just going to give like a very like cursory review of what Jack uh, encounters with the LE. But here's my thing about Iron Maiden. And I, and I sold my Iron Maiden LE. And I know a lot of you guys out there have a problem with that. I'll just say this. I got a really good price on my Iron Maiden LE. Um, I, I got probably maybe the highest price for an Iron Maiden LE by a little bit. I, I've seen them going like 11, 11, 5. Uh, I, I sold it the day the LE was revealed. It probably was the day where the hype was the highest. Um, but I still think the LE is going to blow people away. I really do. I think a lot of you guys out there who are complaining about this and that, when you see an LE in person, I think you're going to be like blown away. And I think the, the dead flip stream is going to show more of the artwork in, 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 in a better light than what we've seen with these uh, oversaturated images. All right, here's my thing about Maiden. Now, when you walk up to Iron Maiden now, it's hard not to walk up to this game with, with the hype it not in your head, right? People have like basically... Um, anointed this game as the greatest pinball machine in the last 20 years, one of the best stern pinball machines of all time. They have given it uh, a level of accolade and excitement 
that I've never seen before on a modern Stern release. So when I walked up to it, you can imagine I, I half expected, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know, I, to feel like a, an orgasmic experience playing Iron Maiden. Now, I have to give you the conditions by which I played. I played at Pioneer's Bar in New York City, and there was like hardly any, there's like no sound to the game, which is not really uh, a great experience. So for all of you out there, I, I, I didn't even get half the experience. So I cannot tell you like what the callouts were like, what the music was like. But what I can do is just give you my impressions of how the game shot and the flow of the game and sort of from a pinball experience. And I also want to give you my overall opinion of why I think Iron Maiden is so popular and who I think Iron Maiden is the right game for, okay? And I'm learning. I'm learning as I'm in this hobby that you can't look at every game like apples to apples. Like every pinball game is just another pinball game and everything is just should be weighed against whether it's worth $9,000 because as we all know, uh, pinball machines, while they look the same, they function so differently from each other. They all have different personalities. So here's my take on Iron Maiden. I think the game is fast, and I think the game is fun, and I think the game is nonstop action. So if you are looking for a fast, fun game with nonstop action, then I think Iron Maiden is going to be a game you really, really enjoy, okay? My other parts of just playing it is I think that majority of the gameplay sort of happens in that center, the center area uh, where the, uh, the, the upper flippers are, where the drop targets are, where the center ramp is. Like the majority of your time in the game feels like it's spent up there. And I did like the way the ball comes out of that area and returns like to the flippers in different ways. Like it's not the same typical fan layout where you're always hitting orbits and ramps and the ball's coming back to the flipper like that way. It just felt like the ball's always going up there, but it's always moving or it's looping around quickly up there and it's also coming back quickly. A lot is happening, all right? A lot is happening. It's, it's, it's a fast-paced game. I did think that the ramps were really tight, especially like the right one and the left one. Like, they're, they're makeable. Don't get me wrong. I mean, this is like my first few times playing the game. And at first, they're intimidating. Like looking at that left ramp through the pop bumpers, you're like, I don't even, is there even a path there? There is. Uh, but the ramps just don't feel, they're, they're, like here's the thing. The ramps are very visual, but they just don't feel like a big part of the game. They feel so different from what's happening in the center area with the loops uh, and the center ramp and the target there. Uh, so there's that. Uh, I do think that there was a, a missed opportunity to make that center ramp target do something. I, I, I just felt like the ball hits it. It's like throwing, it just felt like throwing a ball against a wall, like a Nerf ball against a wall and it just drops down. There was, I just want it more there. Like whether it was a magnet grab, whether that target opens up and you shoot through it eventually. I just, you know, and it loops around to the ramp a la Lord of the Rings and comes back down. There just felt like that area is so visually stimulating. And then you got this like Egyptian world there and it just like hits the wall and doinks down. I, I, I felt underwhelmed by that. And then the balls where they locked, I just couldn't really see 
like the that area. It was just I don't know. Maybe it was just me, but there's like the ball's locked sort of to the left, to the upper left of where that ramp is, and I I wasn't really sure um, wh- what was going on or where that lock was or, or really how to how to get to it. Again, I'm, uh, this is my first few times on the game. All right, the 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 artwork of Zombie Yeti is great. There is a lot a lot of inserts, but I did really like it. I did see a lot of dimpling on the game, but again, like it's a new stern, it's gonna dimple. I'm not gonna talk about dimples, you know me. I would put a playfield protector on this game if I was getting an LE on day one. That's just me. I mean Batman SLE next to it there is like looks like a moon crater. It it looks so dimpled. I would I think Stern has to start offering playfield protectors, but that's just me. All right. Let me get back to one thing though. And here's my big thing about this game. I think this game is for people who want to become better pinball players. I think for people who are tournament players and play frequently, they are going to love this game and they are going to gush about this game to no end. And it's no surprise, it was made by Keith Elwin, who's an incredible player, right? Hitting that loop shot, I'll tell you this, hitting the loops, it's not easy. When you watch Keith Elwin do it, it looks simple. But if you're just like a decent player or a moderate player, you are not going to be hitting that loop that often. And so much, I feel like, of the gameplay revolves around that area. So it's going to force you to get better to hit it, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But I think this game, for the most part, it's all about speed. It's all about flow. It's all about hitting your shots to get to a score. Okay? The one big thing that's missing, and this, to me, is just it's just the kind of pinball player you are. Do you want a game that has speed and flow, or do you want a game that has more things that interact with the ball? Because I think if that's what you enjoy in pinball, which is not everybody, and those people aren't wrong, and the people that like speed and flow aren't wrong, but if you're looking for toys, and you're looking for interaction with the ball, I think Iron Maiden doesn't really have anything. Um, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm curious to see what the difference is on the LE and premium, but this is not a game that has a lot of things that interact with the ball. This isn't a game where you're going to see magnets, you're going to see like mechanisms, you're going to be bashing things. It's not that kind of game. Uh, and that, again, I'm saying that by saying that's not a bad thing. It's just a different kind of game. Now, Look, I think that for a lot of you collectors out there who maybe agree or sort of look at the world the way I do, if what you want is a pinball machine that is a world under glass, which I know I use that phrase, but you want stuff where the ball interacts with it and does like magical things and does really cool stuff, I don't think Iron Maiden is necessarily going to scratch that itch. And here's what I mean by that. So if you pull someone over, If you pulled over someone who wasn't like, you know, a tournament player, wasn't like a pinball expert, wasn't like the greatest pinball shooter, and you said to them, stand in front of this machine, and I want to show you a few really cool things that happen in this pinball machine, okay? If you wanted to show someone that, and you stood over a game like Tales of the Arabian Nights, or Adam's Family, or Medieval Madness, right, or Monster Bash, there would be a series of things in each game you could show them that was really cool, that would interact with the ball, that would be mechanical, that would have movement. I I just don't see any, I think you'd have a hard time having someone stand over Iron Maiden 
and show them that thing. And I don't know, you know, it's just, it's just a different kind of game. And I hope people who listen to this, I'm not, I'm not crapping on the game. I'm just saying, I think if, I think this game perfectly complements some of those other games I just mentioned, because what those games have in terms of toys and interactivity, they lack in fast pace, in, in flow, and in like, you know, just incredible, you know, rule sets with scoring that, that guys who play consistently are looking for. So what I'm saying is, is that Iron Maiden is the perfect pin for certain people. It perfectly complements other pins you might have in your collection that are completely different. Um, but I, the one area it misses for me is just that world under glass. And the other thing, you know, because if you think about it, this game was not designed to be Iron Maiden. This game was designed to be Archer. And I couldn't help but escape a little bit of that feeling that they didn't look at the Iron Maiden world and say, how can we bring the Iron Maiden world to life with, you know, and then go design a game that does that. They had a design and they had a layer over the Iron Maiden universe onto it. And I think when you do it that way, you're not going to have as good of results in, in creating that world under glass. Um, I wish they would have sculpted it, even in the LEDs and the premium, that back area, you know, sculpt it more like the Ghostbuster city on top of the pop bumpers. The amount of screws you can see on that game. I, Stern needs to, if, if I was George Gomez and, and I'm Zach Sharp and I'm Stern, uh, you know, the one area though these guys need to improve is everything is just like, there are screws everywhere. You can see so many screws on every single panel, and I think they have to learn how to hide the damn screws. It's like hiding the wires when you do a home theater install. There's just way too many silver screws everywhere for what is happening there. That whole back area feels like it could be one nice big sculpt with maybe just screws on the other side that go into the back box. Instead, it's just like, it feels like there's like 50 screws. And that's my thing. It's like Stern's getting there, but there are definitely areas where I think I would love to see more of a 3D sculpted world come to life and not just plastic with screws. All right. Okay. But like I said, I think you guys, I think you guys are going to enjoy this pen. I, I do. Uh, the other thing, you know, having played Maiden and having played Pirates of the Caribbean, these two pins couldn't be worlds apart. And it actually gave me even more of an appreciation for Pirates of the Caribbean and everything Jack is putting into that game. Because I think Jersey Jack is the other approach. It is more of like that incredible world under glass where there, it, there are so many things to interact with. There are so many toys. There are so many like, uh, you know, mechanical things interacting with the ball, magnets, you've got subways, you've got, you know, spinners, you've got rocking ships, you've got cannons that fire the ball. I, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in that game that, you know, there just isn't an Iron Maiden. And if you were to do apples to apples on price, completely different games between a Pirate of the Caribbean LE and a Iron Maiden LE. Uh, but I think what's good is I do think these two games absolutely complement each other on, on a lot of levels. And if you were to have just two games in your collection, all you would really need is a game like a Pirates and a game like a Maiden. And I think you would be satiated. Um, both will have deep code. Both will have 
different ways of, of bringing the pinball experience to life. Um, both are beautiful. And I think th these two games are going to do well. I do. I, I think Iron Maiden will absolutely sell way more than Pirates of the Caribbean. I, I think Jack always like overdoes it and doesn't get the theme right. I, I do think the Iron Maiden theme is, is far more popular and going to be more interesting. So that is my initial experience with Iron Maiden LE. I'm going to hit pause right now and go watch Jack Danger for a little bit. I have to get ready for an award show tonight. And then we are going to say goodnight. All right. So um, you're going to hear like a, a, like a little delay. And then I'm like, okay, I just saw like 20 minutes of the LE. Okay, here we go. Pause. All right. Actually, it's five in the morning. And that pause was many, many hours later, almost 12 hours later. I am here back on the podcast. But here's the reason why. Because the, the Twitch stream of Iron Maiden LE was like a half hour late. All right, I got on there at 5 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, and there was nothing but a woman, like, making, I don't know, like, knitting on, on, on Dead Flip Stream. It never ceases to amaze me, the ability for pinball marketing to fuck up time and time again. But then I finally saw the video, I finally saw the gameplay, and I have to say, it's, it's cool. There is a lot of fun stuff in the Iron Maiden LE. Um, I also... For the life of me, cannot understand why they didn't show the artwork on the cabinet. They didn't talk about the backlash. All they talked about was the gameplay. And here's why Stern Marketing needs to understand one thing. That I can do marketing on my little finger better than all pinball marketing that goes on in this world. They don't understand what people bought the LE for. It wasn't just for like the sarcophagus that locks the balls or the chamber that lifts up in the upper left of the game. They bought it for the freaking zombie yeti metallic artwork on the side and the mirrored back glass and they showed none of that on two hours of Jack Danger's dead flip. And, and it's just like, for at what point, at what point am I going to get a call from Gary Stern or George Gomez that says, Canada, Chris, you do marketing for some of the biggest companies in the world. You're offering to help us do marketing for free. We will take your marketing advice. At what point is that going to happen? I, I, I hope it's sometime soon. I hope it's sometime soon. So it's five in the morning. We won our big marketing award last night. Bonnie Tyler, total eclipse of the heart, won for the best travel PR campaign of the year. I'm so happy. I'm so happy right now. Okay, where are we? Where are we? It's, it's a little hard to come back 12 hours later. I want to read um, some emails, and then I'll, I'll call it a day. I also got a Facebook message from Tim Sexton, who works over at Stern. And he says to me, can you explain to me why on Pinside there's a company going out of business, stealing all the money, and all that people can say in Stern threads is that we're the bad guys. There's something like six code updates in April and made in Guardians and Batman, and they ask about code. Look, Tim, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna be honest because it's 5 a.m. and I'm gonna go take the demon out today. I'm gonna go get some Walters hot dogs in, in, in Westchester County. If you ever if you wanna go get the greatest food ever, go to Walters Hot Dogs in, in, in Mamaronek. It's a little Chinese pagoda. But here's the deal, Tim. Here's the deal. Stern Pinball is the only reason Pinball is around. 
Stern Pinball makes the most fun games in pinball. Stern Pinball has the greatest themes of all time. The reason why people bitch is because you're the only player in town. Okay? Everyone knows that. Everyone feels that. Everyone speaks with their wallet and they support Stern Pinball. And Pinside is a bunch of freaking losers. I mean, we all know this. The people on Pinside are the, it's like the same 50 chumps. The same 50 chumps. If you were to remove the same 50 chumps from Pinside, that site would be dead. It's the same 50 chumps over and over and over again, chiming in on everything. And they know who they are, and they do it every thread. But the bottom line is this. Stern Pinball is the only real pinball game in town. And, and I wish there was more competition for you guys. I really do. I really do. I, I don't think Stern Pinball Machines should be the only ones around. But are you kidding me? Do you really think Houdini is as much fun as a Stern Pinball Machine? You know, I, I ran into people at League Night. And everyone was saying, like, ah, Houdini doesn't shoot well. You know what? Those guys are a bunch of wimps because they won't say it on Pinside. And all those guys are on Pinside. They just want to cheerlead Houdini because, you know, it's, it's like they, they, no one can ever say anything bad about a new game. But I'm going to say it right now. Houdini doesn't shoot well. There you go. I said it. You're going to prove me wrong? Game's not. Look, put Houdini next to uh, Iron Maiden and tell me which game shoots better. Tell me which game has got better design. Tell me which game's got better artwork. Tell me which game. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's night and day. Night and day. All right? Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle. Spooky Pinball. Everyone, you know, everyone has to love Spooky Pinball. You have to love them. You can't say anything bad. You know who's saying Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle sucks? Is Ben Heck. He won't come out and say it directly. He'll say it to people, like, behind their backs because he doesn't want to throw Chuck under the bus. Well, Ben Heck, I'm saying it for you. Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle looks really cool. Looks really cool. But it's just another spooky game. The design's not there. The design's not there. You just you're gonna keep bricking the ball. Uh, at you're just gonna keep hitting post. You're gonna keep hitting post, hitting post, hitting post. Shots are really tight. Nothing really amazing going on. Looks cool. Looks cool. That's all it is. I mean, pinball has digressed into this world where like people just think it can look cool, and that's all you need to do. Nah, not good enough. Not good enough. Total Nuclear Annihilation is the best-selling spooky game of all time. You know why? Because it wasn't made by Spooky Pinball. Guys, this is going to be the honest podcast. It's 5 in the morning. I don't really care. I'm going to say it. I really don't care. You know, if Charlie were to do one thing, he would hire a designer. He would hire a couple designers. He needs to stop. He needs to stop. Okay? Lock yourself into Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle, guys. Go spend $1,000 and watch what happens when Monster Bash gets revealed in, in this month. Watch what happens. You're not going to be able to move your money out and you're going to be stuck. 500 people are going to go in on this game. It's going to be Rob Zombie all over again. You're going to see that the design is not there, that the game is not there, and Ben Heck is right. He was tired of trying to fix the problems going on over at Spooky Pinball, so he quit. He won't say it. He won't say it. He'll say it to everyone else around you, but he won't say it to you. Well, I'm saying it to you. That's what he feels. And that's the thing. That's what this podcast has been getting to recently. If, if you've been paying attention is I'm so sick and tired of men in this hobby being such wimps and, and not saying what they really feel about things because they, they, they don't want to do They don't want to throw anyone under the bus or they want to they do this. or they wanna, like, Come on. 
Come on. What the hell are people worried about? Say what you feel. Say what you feel. And I implore people to like be honest with people. Why, why do you care? They're going to sell all 500 Alice Coopers probably. Those, then those owners won't care that people don't like it or those owners might love it. It's pinball. It's just a fucking big wooden box of blinking lights and code and a silver ball bouncing around. And these grown men are really nervous, right? Really nervous about being called out uh, or, or, or having their opinions shared on, on my podcast. You know, I heard from Aaron from Fast Pinball. Like, I called him out a little bit. And he's like, oh, man, like, you can't call me out. Well, Aaron, like, I'm sorry, man. Like, you didn't say anything that bad. It's not that bad. But I say to everybody, just share what you feel. Why can't people share what they feel? Um, and why can't people come on this show to defend themselves if they feel like I misattributed something to them? You know, I started this podcast, you know, because I was banned. I, I'm too, I, I, what am I, what, I'm, I'm, I'm too aggressive for Pinside or I'm too, uh, I'm too controversial. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. All right. You get rid of the 50 chumps who all they do is post on Pinside every day. And all of a sudden you realize this hobby is filled with people who just love pinball and play pinball and don't give a shit about all the sensitivities that exist in that little inner circle of people who actually care what pinball people think of them, all right? Let's read some emails. I'm going to do it. All right, let's see. We got an email from Scott Drager. It says, you need a, pol a pinball Pulitzer. Great work on the highway breakdown. I'm all for partial non-refundable deposits. Full prepay lets this happen. Partial deposits forces the manufacturers to deliver to get to the remainder. Excellent work. I can't wait for the musical. All right, Scott, thank you. We're going to do uh, Andrew Highway the musical very soon. You know what? I'm not going to read more emails because i got to be honest. I don't think I can read right now too well. All right? I don't think I can read right now too well. But look, I want to say this. I know this has been like a – you're getting like me and then you're getting me like 12 hours later after an award show. I want to say – that I thank each and every one of you for listening to this podcast from the bottom of my heart. You know, we don't get the most listens. We don't. And we get, I think we get the most passionate listeners. I think unlike every other podcast out there, you guys tune in weekly to this show. We, you know, and we do it multiple times a week. This isn't head-to-head -head every Monday. This isn't Nate Shivers who decides to do it once a month. I am committed committed to bringing you guys news when it happens like when it happens like i take time away from my life to do this for you guys and here's the thing i do it for no money absolutely no money i get nothing in return other than the satisfaction of knowing that you guys want to hear a commentary about pinball more than just once a week more than just once a month right and I'm glad that you tune in. I'm glad that you tune in. And for my like 1,500 loyal listeners who do it every week, multiple times a week, I really want to say from the bottom of my heart, I do love you guys. Like I love you guys. I thank you guys. I love the passion in this hobby. I love the other pinball podcasters that are out there doing it their way. Um, but you know what I'm going to say is like I do think that no other pinball podcast tries to get to the heart of the matter, to the truth of what's going on in this hobby, and looks at these machines the proper way. 
I, I, I think we're the only ones that do it, and I think that's why you tune in. And I want to say to all of my friends at Stern Pinball who listen to this podcast on a, on a weekly basis, I love you guys. I love your machines, okay? But your marketing is not as good as the marketing I do on my tiny little finger. And you have such an awesome product to market. It's about time you woke up to the major leagues of marketing and stopped fucking up every single marketing launch of your games, okay? The fact that people had to buy an LE of Iron Maiden and couldn't even see the premium artwork yet is a major fuck up. I'm sorry, the game is great, but come on guys, you're, you're asking people to spend $9,000 without even having all the information they need to pull the trigger on that. You're so close, Stern. You're so close to world domination. Seriously. Seriously. And you already, you already dominate the pinball world. And I love you guys from the bottom of my heart, Stern. I love you guys. But my little finger, little finger, it's got more marketing in it than what you guys are able to produce. You're going to listen to me one day. One day, George Gomez is going to call me up and say, Chris, I understand now what you're saying that you work for one of the biggest marketing agencies in the world and you represent billion dollar brands on a weekly basis and you're offering me marketing advice for free by which my hourly rate is like 400 bucks and I'm giving it to you guys for free. I'm gonna take you up on that offer. George Gomez, here's my number, 1-800-F-U-C-K-H-I-L-T-O-N. Have a great day, everybody. Smoking a cigarette you thought was gonna be your last.